Cowabunga, doo doo and welcome to not quite an episode of Turtle Tales Radio. Uh, something a little different, something super special. It is the last Ronin team up, and if you know what that means, guys, I am once again joined by my main man, my partner in last Ronin crime, Mr. Zach Norris. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Rob. Glad to be back on the uh, on the show one week after I was on the show. <laughs> I know, I know, I, I've missed you so much, dude. It, <laughs> it feels like it's been eight days instead of seven. I I was thinking that at least eight days. Yes, it's so it's so exciting. We, we're finally here, man. I I didn't think this day would come. You know what? You're probably not alone in that, man. There's probably a, <laughs> there's probably fans like us that didn't think this day would come. There's probably employees of IDW Publishing that didn't think this day would come. <laughs> but um, here we are about to dig into Last Ronin number two. Yeah, absolutely. On a Thursday night, it's 9.04 as far as my time goes. So this is like way past Rob's bedtime right now. Uh, <laughs> but it is so worth it. I was just telling Zach, I have... Just cracked open my second bottle of Diet Mountain Dew, so we're getting serious here. We're getting ready to rock. Amen, man. Amen. Yeah, so it has been a few months since the last Ronin first issue had come out. and that more than a few. <laughs> yeah, it sure has. It's crazy to think about, but you're right. It's been, what, like three or four? We got, we got issue one in October of 2020. Yeah, so about four months. That's incredible. Yeah. So, um... That episode is actually on Zach's feed. If you haven't heard it, um, all of our coverage for issue one is on his feed. That was so much fun to do that. And uh, man, just just quick impressions, man, before we get into it page by page. Um, do you want to talk about just quick impressions of what you felt about this issue, or do you want to save that for the end? Uh, no, man, we can do that now. I, um, cool. You know, just to, to real briefly piggyback off what you were saying, the issue one coverage is an older episode of Boo Yaka Show. And so here we are doing issue two on Turtle Tales, and issue three will bounce back over to Booyaka Show. I know that this may be somewhat confusing to people who have been listening to now our IDW team-up coverage. <laughs> and so just kind of wanted to clarify, like the, the idea was we were going to do this last Ronin stuff. This was the first idea. This is what set everything off. And then once the delays started piling up and it looked like it was going to be a while, Rob and I decided to tackle the the main ongoing just so we had some monthly content where we could get together once a month and talk. So that stuff alternating between the feeds, then because of the schedule of Last Ronin ended up being a little wonky where it's it, it seems like we're bouncing back and forth but not keeping up with bouncing back and forth because... There's going to be now two issues on a, in a row on Turtle Tales, but that is just because of the way that everything landed and played out. So that's just a quick you know disclaimer for everybody out there who's like, man, back to back on Turtle Tales? That's just the way things happen to go. But quick impressions of Last Ronin number two. I, off rip, I liked this issue better than the first one. Not that the first one is wow. bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's just... Issue one is packed to the gills with action. It's just, you know, page one to page 48 or whatever it is. It's just nonstop, and you get a little bit of story details here and there. You're kind of picking them up as you go. But I really like that this episode, excuse me, this issue slowed it down a bit, gave us some insight into what's going on with Michelangelo, what's going on with April, what kind of brought us to this point. They did some really great stuff with the art. This is first 
excuse me, this is Ben Bishop's first real showcase here in issue two. He had one page in issue one. He had 15 pages in this issue. There's some other cool art stuff that we'll get to. I don't want to spoil anything yet. Um, but no, man, I, I really enjoyed it. There's a lot of cool reveals here. There's a lot of answers to questions from issue one, but they don't answer everything because there's still three issues left to go. But all in all, I really liked issue two. Oh, that's awesome, man. I, I'm right there with you. I loved issue one. I love the pacing of issue one, and I love the mysteriousness behind it all, and it really paid off at the end. And this issue... I don't want to say it slows things down, but some of our questions are answered, like you said. And boy, I just love the whole vibe that I'm getting from the series. Because now I'm starting to feel like there's a, an ongoing tone to it, and I'm loving it. And it's funny because I was just thinking about this a couple hours ago. I just happened to listen to the soundtrack for the original 1990 film. And then I started thinking, wow, this, for some reason, reminds me of the original 1990 film. It's got that dark edge to it, and it certainly feels like an early, early Mirage book. I mean, I'm talking volume one in, in maybe the first two or three issues of volume one. It just has that feeling to it. Definitely, and, um, dude. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I recommend listening to the 1990 uh, soundtrack by John Dupre while reading this book. It's just, just going to make it even better. I bet that some of that, you know, the Shredder's theme and the green yes! stuff at the end, like some of that, some of those fight scene, you know, songs can can probably dial up the book a notch. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was I was playing the uh, Shredder's Last Stand theme while watching one of the fight scenes in this book. And I'm like, this fits perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I vote we just get right into it. What do you say? I'm ready to go when you are, my man. So, yeah. So this is the last Ronin issue two. Quick thoughts about the cover, man. Um, I didn't notice this until I actually had the physical book. I, I think I had seen maybe some screenshots of the cover before. But I love the fact that at the very top of the page, we do see a katana. And we see, you could argue that it's a feminine glove that, that's holding the katana. So I'm like, wait a minute. There's Karai. Okay, so already there were hints there. And I love the shuriken in, in Raph's shoulders already sunk in there. It's yep. just, man, it's it's a great snapshot of a pretty epic scene in the book. What what do you think about the cover? I really enjoy this cover. Uh, as I've said on here before, in my show plenty of times, Raphael is my favorite turtle, so giving, giving him some love on the cover is never a bad thing for me. The mm. only thing I will slightly gripe about, and this is, this is not a big gripe because I know that these guys were just you know, doing their job and building up some hype and, you know, keeping everybody, you know, into things. But it was announced a long time ago. I can't remember if it was Tom Waltz or Kevin Eastman on Twitter who kind of let the, uh, they let us know the title of each chapter, right? So issue one was chapter one titled whatever it is. And now part two here is first to fall. First to fall, yeah. So, so whoever it is that says it on Twitter is like, oh, part two is first to fall. And then this cover comes out with Raphael on it, and you're like, oh, man, I wonder who's the first to fall. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> so it's it's a great cover. Raph looks really mean. Like you said, I love the, uh, the shuriken that are stuck in him. He's got some arrows in his thighs, and it's almost oh, like this. yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah. It's kind of like a, uh, a Boromir moment from Lord of the Rings. He's just, you know, 
impaled and bleeding and just fighting on. I love his kind of, you know, geared up kind of body armor, flak jacket looking thing. But yeah, it's yeah. it's a rad cover. Oh man, it's it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. So so the uh, the inside credits here for the Last Ronin. Uh, the story was done by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, and Tom Waltz. Uh, the script was done by Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman. The layouts are by Kevin Eastman. So it's it's really cool to see Kevin have such a heavy part and heavy hand in this. Uh, once again, probably a big reason why it feels like an early Mirage book. One of the many reasons, I think. But, yeah, layouts are done by Kevin Eastman. The inks are done by Esau and Isaac Escorza, Ben Bishop, and Kevin Eastman. Color assistance by Samuel Plata. I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, colors by Luis Antonio Delgado, and the letters are by Sean Lee. The additional edit, uh, editorial coordination by R.G. Lorena, and edits by Bobby Kernow. And I love the uh, Sophie Campbell alternate cover. Did you see that? I did see it, and I do own it, so I love it also. Oh, you lucky dog. <laughs> you always got the good stuff, man. I try. In, you know, on that note, shout out to Now or Never Comics here in San Diego for always uh, making sure I get the good stuff. Hey, nice. And shout out to my buddy Rocky over at Crypto Comics. He was able to find me during the craziness of the first issue of Last Ronin. He was able to find me a physical copy a couple couple days later. I didn't get one on the, the first day. I had to get the digital when we did our show. And then uh, he made sure that I definitely had my hands on this one as well as – Nice. I know on the last Boogie Tales we were talking about the the one-offs for the Ninja Turtles, the Donatello issue and the Raph one. I picked those up too. So Very cool. Yeah, Rocky's been hooking me up. So if you're ever in the North Knoxville area, listeners, I definitely recommend Crypto Comics. It's it's a fantastic shop, and as a matter of fact, they're expanding. So that's pretty impressive in uh, in this economic climate right now. So. Yeah, that's good for them, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so my friend, you want to start us off today with the uh, first few pages? You know what, dude? I would love to. All right, guys. So we open up on page one. Large panel at the top giving us the title, The Last Ronin Part 2 first to fall and we open up on april o'neill laying in bed and she's crying and you know just staring at the roof of her room crying tears kind of gently falling out of her eyes and we turn the page and we jump into our first flashback so it kind of gives the vibe or the the idea that april is laying in bed now thinking about how all of this stuff went down how it all got started you know mikey popping back into her life suddenly is probably bringing all this stuff flooding back to her so we get some really, really cool, personal, intimate moments here with Casey and April. Looks like they're about to announce their engagement to, you know, basically their surrogate family, the Turtles and Splinter. I love the top panel shot of second time around Antiques and More. It looks fresh out of the movie. Like It looks like Ben Bishop just looked at that scene and just grabbed it straight out of the movie, like you said, the 1990 movie. Yeah, and it's not on fire. That's a good thing. It's not on fire, so that is a plus. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I guess before we get too deep, big props to Ben Bishop here. Big props to Esau and Isaac Escorza. Yeah. The art in this book is great. I love seeing more Ben Bishop stuff. I know he's, mm -hmm. you know, somewhat a guy like us. He's a lifelong Turtle fan, and so seeing him work to a point in his career and now being part of the Turtles universe and contributing to a book this big, that's pretty epic. Yeah. So seeing him kind of flex his muscles here and give some really important pages and some really epic moments, that's cool. So hats off to him. But um, mm -hmm. we've got April and Casey talking. 
They're kind of worried about the guys being late. They've got this announcement that they want to give. April's got an engagement ring. And then, wouldn't you know, the door slams open. Here's Raphael. He's covered in blood. He's dripping all over the floor. And this giant jerk runs into the room, throws a chair out of the way, and this <laughs> lovely like five-course dinner that April and Casey have prepared, Raph just throws it on the floor without a second thought. Like... <laughs> Just trashes all of dinner. And, of course, he's got a good reason for it. As Donnie and Mikey follow him into the room, they're carrying Master Splinter, who looks like he's on his last leg, kind of physically and metaphorically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny you bring that up because I was like, man, what a jerk, Raph. Where did this come from? Is he mad? Is he, he's mad about something. Exactly, man. I was like, um, he just literally ran in the room and threw dinner on the floor, and it takes that, you know, <laughs> bottom section of the last panel you're like oh, okay it's urgent you know yeah it's, it's like my two-year-old daughter just coming into the, the kitchen throwing stuff on the floor <laughs> right but hopefully not dragging a dying rat behind her that's true yes i, I haven't seen that yet so that's good, good but yeah good. one other thing I, I wanted to say is um if you notice at the second time around shop on the left side of that panel you still see like these futuristic looking devices strapped to these buildings oh, so good eye dude good eye yeah, so you know that, like, even though this is a flashback, it's still set in some kind of future, you know, right. for, for the Turtles. And, and, by the way, I do like April short hair. She looks really nice. Very punk yeah. rocky. I yeah, like so it. that's that's actually, I appreciate you calling that out because I did not take the time to notice that. So it's it's a cool little, just informative little bit of art that's like, hey, we are flashing back, but we're not flashing all the way back. Like, this might have happened five years ago, ten years ago. You know, but I I think the idea is Last Ronin is 40 years in the future. Oh, um, wow. I believe that's the case. Um, so this might be just 20 years instead. But either yeah, way. That, that's good. Yeah, I, I didn't even notice that. But yeah, I, I didn't notice it the first time around. But yeah, the second time around, I, de I definitely did. <laughs> oh, I didn't even mean to make that pun. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I thought you were setting it. <laughs> oh, I sh you know, I'm fixing that in post. I totally meant that. Dude. Viewers, if you hear some weird cuts here, it's because Rob is editing his jokes now. So it's how, it's how I work. Dad jokes need to be edited sometimes. Right, right. <laughs> so next page, we go back to April in the present. And I thought this was really well done because, again, if you're not paying attention, you might miss this, but it's going to be kind of hard. April is laying in bed, and she is missing a leg, and her arm is obscured by a pillow. But if you look over to on the nightstand by her bed, there's a prosthetic arm and on the floor is a prosthetic leg. So clearly not only does she have bad memories of this night, but she also has some crazy things that she has physically gone through, you know, some battle wounds that, you know, she is healing from physically and mentally. So, yeah, yeah. And another thing about this is, like you said, this is what, who knows how many years ago and she's still having nightmares about it, you know, so this is so traumatic to her that she still thinks about it all these years later. And then once again, as she's waking up from her present time here, um, we get more of a the flashback, you know, just seconds later. So they have Splinter strapped down and April, a young April saying, oh, this is bad. This is really bad. And this kind of blew my mind. So in the scene, Donatello, she uh, April's talking to him and she says, Donnie, help me cut the clothing away and clear all this blood. And Donatello of all the turtles he kind of freezes here, which is fascinating to me because he's usually the one that has a plan. Not my, many things rattle Donatello, and he freezes for a split second. 
But, you know, God bless her. April snaps him out of it. She's like, snap out of it. We need to find the wound that's most dangerous. Focus. And he goes, yeah, okay, okay, uh, sorry, I'm good. And Casey wants to know, well, what happened? Who ambushed you guys? And this is finally where we get a little bit of a reveal here. It was a large strike team. Michelangelo answers this. A large strike team jumped us when we were out of the sewers. Raph, he's already so furious. He said, every darn foot in the city's about to find out how big of a mistake they made tonight. Oh, yeah, they, they even referenced body count. And you're like, you know what? We're, we're going out there. We're busting heads, Casey. Let's go. But Leonardo's like, no, no, no. Right now, we need you here. We need to find a way to save Splinter here. Okay, we, we, can, we can deal with them later. And I find this next page so interesting because I didn't notice it the first reading, but I noticed it the second time around. Oh, there it is again. Uh, <laughs> uh, where Leonardo, he goes, we're good for now. I turned the, the last of them back in the subway. Looks like they might be running towards the east side, the docks maybe. And Casey's like, well, wait a minute. What about the truce? I thought you guys were good. But Leonardo, you know, he's being realistic. He's like, honestly, I'm surprised it lasted, it lasted as long as it did. So, okay, so the second panel here, we see Michelangelo on the left. We see Leo. Casey, April, and then we see Raph in the background here, and he's gritting his teeth, holding his head, and Dante is on the far right. And then on the next panel, as uh, Leonardo's talking to April, Raph's gone. So I'm like, oh, man. So there was the moment where he decided he's going to do something about it. And by the time the turtles actually turn around, and Casey goes, hey, you know, turns around too, they're like, hey, where's Raph? Leonardo knows. Um, he's gone. He knows exactly what he's doing. And then the last thing I wanted to say is um, I, I really like the, the dialogue between what seems like a dying Splinter and Michelangelo. Michelangelo's right by his side, and he goes, this is Splinter here. This war, it was a matter of time. Oroku against Hamato, always. Karai trying to end it once and for all. Michelangelo's just trying to say, relax, sensei. Just don't, don't think about it. Just relax. And then we get a cutaway to the to the present. That's some brutal stuff. And it, mm-hmm. like you calling out that little sequence there in the second and third panel, that was a good little catch. Like I noticed Raph back there being angry, but I didn't really pay attention to that the next the next panel he's gone in that very next moment. And I think there's some really clever paneling by uh, Sean Lee there because he puts those two bubbles right where Raph would have been. So it's some yeah. some cool little you know, trickery there with the, with the layout of the uh, speech bubbles, excuse me. So really good stuff. And we, we get back to April in present time. She's getting up. We do now see that she is missing the lower section of her left arm and the basically half of her right leg. She snaps on her prosthetic hand and she goes to get her leg, but she drops it. And here's where the book tries to play a little trick on us. So she's looking at the floor and her leg has fallen too far away from her. And she turns and she says, Hey, Casey, a little help here. And in that last panel, the way that the view is, is, or the way that we're seeing it, we're looking from behind April and she's looking at a bag with hockey sticks and Casey's mask on it. So it's almost like they're making us think that, April is having some sort of delusions or she imagines Casey's still there or she talks to herself like Casey is still there. There's a couple different ways that could go, but we, uh, we find out a different answer to that, you know, here later in the book, but this was a real little, you know, clever little moment. And then we jump over to Michelangelo who's in the kitchen. 
and he's trying to light a match and he starts talking to his brothers again. And somebody says, this whole April still being alive thing is nuts, huh? And the ghost of Leonardo says, yeah, hard to believe anyone survived that. And then Raphael says, talk about miracles, right, Mike? And Michelangelo's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, the last thing I remember was the explosion. And then, and they do this real cool thing where he actually gets the match lit. And then after he says, and then, he blows it out. So cool little visual thing there to go along with the speech, but he's making some tea. And he's telling his brothers, I was pretty out of it. I was out of it pretty bad when I finally came to. Couldn't remember anything for days. And then this is, these two pages right here are two of my favorite pages in the book because I love the like hardcore family element of them, but I also love what we see from Michelangelo. And I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit after I go through it. But again, Mikey's talking to the ghosts of his brothers. He talks about the explosion and re not remembering anything after for days. And Raph says, I kind of missed that, kind of missed that one, I guess. And somebody says, no kind of about it, Raph. And why was that, huh? And then somebody says, I don't know, Donnie. Wouldn't be because he flipped out and ran off and did something stupid again, right? And then Raph says, well, how many times has my stupid hothead saved all your shells, Leonardo? <laughs> nice save. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> and then Michelangelo answers for everybody and says, not enough. Never enough. And then the ghost of Raph, being kind of a jerk, says, yeah, well, at least I didn't try to kill myself first whiff of failure. Mm. And then Michelangelo lashes out and says, you stupid, pathetic fool. You always make our entire life about you. I fought every battle you have, even the idiotic ones you started, and you still want to judge me. You knew what my mission was, a one-way ticket from the start, for our father, for our family, for honor. So, pretty brutal stuff. He continues making the tea. He says, look, I should be dead. That fall should have killed me but it didn't. I'm still here, still ready to fight. I lost the battle, but the war goes on. I will finish what we started, what Master Splinter raised us to do, the last Oroku. Turn the page and he says, must die. But very cool last panel here is he raises like a tea toast to the ghost of his brothers. And this page gives us a real, or these two pages, excuse me, give us a real important look into Mikey's psyche uh, didn't mean for that to rhyme as much as it did, but <laughs> we know that Michelangelo is communicating with the ghosts of his brothers more than likely in his head. It's like a mental thing, right? It's a, a mental coping, coping mechanism that he's using to talk to his brothers. Unless we find out in issue three or four or whatever that, you know, maybe through more studying and meditating and practicing yeah, the stuff his father that's taught what I was him. Wondering. Maybe he's figured out how to communicate with them through, you know, astral projection type stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll figure it out eventually. But he's talking to them and Raph makes some smart aleck comment and then everybody replies and Mikey gets angry because again, he's the glue. He's the emotional core of the team. He's listening to his three brothers argue, his three dead brothers argue, while he's here alone dealing with the brunt of all their decisions, especially 
Raph's dumb decision where he went off and, you know, gets himself hurt. So seeing Mikey lash out is not something that we're used to. And I think it's, again, it's kind of key in showing us like this is where he's at as, as a person. This is where he's at emotionally. This is where he's at mentally. He is just hanging on by a thread and the only thing driving him is revenge for his brothers. We've we've lost the empathetic, sweet, caring, you know, funny, charismatic Michelangelo, and he's been replaced by a battle-hardened, sad, just fighting machine. He's just ready to physically do what he has to do to end this thing once and for all. And so it's really cool seeing that flip between the Mikey we know and love, and now this version of Mikey. Right. So, that last panel, too, where he's, he's making a toast to his brothers, once again, this kind of harkens back to the first issue. You know, the first issue was a, a revenge issue. You know, volume one, issue one. And I love how he references it here. He goes, I, I will finish what we started, what Master Splinter raised us to do. Which, I, boy, I love that when they harken right to issue one here. That is so cool. And then... uh to go back just a, a couple of pages um, to Casey's mask real quick, because I'm a dork, I really studied the mask. And if you look closely enough, there's like a, I don't know if it's a gash or if it's a shadow, but it looks like on the left side of that mask, there's some kind of damage to it. And I wonder if that maybe, that could just be my eyes playing tricks on me, or if Casey had some kind of head trauma, or whatever might have happened. Maybe it happened this night. We don't know yet. That's a good catch, man. I did not notice that. I thought that was just some some shading and shadows and stuff, but it actually it could, does it look very like well there's. Could be. <laughs> it, it looks like there's some some battle damage there. So so good catch. Yeah, maybe some blood. Who knows? But yeah, and then going back to what you were saying about, um, could it possibly be that Michelangelo is is communicating with his brothers on an astral plane? That would be really interesting and maybe explain part of what Splinter's book might be about. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be really fascinating, especially when we find out what Michelangelo does in, in the future scenes of this book. But right. I almost prefer him to be kind of half crazy or not – this <laughs> is not the word. But maybe just you know that Michelangelo has suffered so much trauma that he's not quite there. You know, He's not yeah, quite yeah. whole, if that makes any sense. No, it totally does, man. Yeah, so I don't know. That to me is somehow that makes him more of a sympathetic character. But yeah, right. it's a, but some great stuff, man. You described that really beautifully. So, so next next scene, oh man, are you sure you want me to do this page cuz this is really good stuff. Well, no, here's what we'll do. Okay. I I want you to tackle the next two pages for sure. Okay. You could even tackle the next four if you will. There there's some moments coming up with my favorite turtle. That I would, I would. Oh, absolutely! You deserve it. You know yes. what I mean? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I appreciate you. Of course, man. So, okay, so we get another flashback, and Ben Bishop is really showing off here, man. Some great stuff. <laughs> uh, and buddy, you hit the nail on the head. It's so cool to see him shine like this. It's really amazing, and I'm sure it was a great dream come true for him, and it's a dream come true for us fans too. So, uh, anyways, we get Raphael. All right, so he is running off. This is seconds or maybe minutes after storming out of April's uh, apartment, and he is out for blood. So he is running on the rooftops, and I love in the background, it says NYC aggregation. So I'm like, hmm, aggregate maybe? A little harken to that there. And then we get the shot of Raphael hopping with his, his left leg out first, and there's a 
he did a side-by-side of a scene where Raph jumps out from the original comic, and it's it's the exact same pose. So there are so many little things that, once again, once I read this five or six more times, maybe I'll notice these little poses and and things, and I'd love to compare and contrast this to the first issue It's the uh, It's the kiss-your-butt-goodbye pose. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. I hope that's the name of it. (laughs) I I hope that's the name too, but that's definitely what he's saying while he's in that like (laughs) jumping stance. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So yeah, he's doing his thing and uh, he makes his way through the subway and then he storms past this, uh, it's the window of um, trains. (laughs) There's a, you know, I can't take credit for this. You, you say it. (laughs) (laughs) You say it. I can't say it. There's a, uh, um, there's an Eastman egg. <laughs> <laughs> he came up with it earlier. I was like, oh, that's beautiful. Some Eastman eggs in this book. So we yeah, have uh, yeah. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird on the bus, uh, or oh, listen, listen to me, on the train, and they see the turtle, and they're eating pizza, which is great. Peter Laird goes, you see that? Kevin goes, what? It looked like, ah, never mind, that'd be way too crazy. <laughs> so, great, <laughs> great well scene done. there. Yes, and I love um, Kevin's uh, mustache looks fantastic. <laughs> and Pete's glasses. So yep. uh, Raphael, he's like, blood, where is she, huh? All right, so this scene here, another Easter egg here. So the guy that's holding the what looks like a dog, I think that's the main character from his aggregate book. And then the other guy looks just like Ben Bishop. The guy saying, huh? I uh, I agree. Yeah. I think that is the, I think that is the play there. Ah, very nice. Very nice, Ben. I, I see what you did there. That was awesome. So Raphael, he is out for blood. He's trying to get information out of the foot soldiers and finally makes his way to the rooftop where Karai and her uh, wounded henchmen are because the turtles, they put up a heck of a fight against these guys. And Karai is giving it to them pretty good. She goes, I gave you one simple command, kill the mutants. And now you have the utter gall to return here to nurse your own pathetic wounds and wallow in your failure. This will not stand. And by the way, I love Ben Bishop's version of Karai. She looks amazing. But basically she says, we must finish what we've started. The truce between the foot and Hamato clans has been broken and blood has been spilled. So there's no going back. She knows, okay, if the turtles are still alive, they're coming for her. And Buddy, she just maybe didn't know how quickly it was going to happen because shortly, right after she says that, um, Raphael does his thing. So, Buddy, I I vote you take it from here. Uh, all right, man, I... That's that's a pretty big chunk, but I appreciate you. You deserve I'll it. I'll try to I'll try to do us I'll try to do us justice. But real quick, I do love Karai's look. She kind of looks like Electra from Daredevil. Yeah, uh, really yeah. really sweet look for her. And also too, man, I find it interesting this that she calls out the fact that the truce between the Foot and Hamato clans has been broken. It almost makes it sound like oh setup. Yeah, right. Like it makes it seem like she maybe didn't order. The, the strike team that jumped the turtles out of the sewer or whatever, like maybe that wasn't her. Like she didn't want the truce to be broken and somebody acted on her behalf or somebody's trying to set up the, you know, Hamato and, you know, Foot Clan war. But just just the way she says that, it doesn't sound like she's saying, you know, we started our final battle tonight, blah, blah, blah. It sounds no. like she's saying, sounds like she's saying that she has been wronged. So now the truce is over. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. That's really – I wonder if she thinks the turtles started it. Right, right. Oh, man. I, I'd never caught that before. Good good point. Yeah. So we basically turn the page, and everybody's listening to Karai. 
Foot Clan's guys are standing there listening to cry. And one dude gets grabbed by the neck, pulled to the ground. You see a snap sound effect. So that's something that we should probably just get out of the way here. These next handful of pages are brutal. Which is awesome. This, which is awesome. This <laughs> book is brutal. Issue one was brutal. I mean, Mikey fell like a hundred stories from a building to the ground um, after just slaying dudes in mass. And that's kind of what Raphael gets up to here is he is just a one man wrecking crew. Yeah. Just straight up taking dudes out left and right. I mean, the one, two, three, the fourth panel on this page has a dude catching a ninja star to the face, another dude catching a dagger to the face. And then he jumps in and he's stabbing one guy in the back after he's, you know, slashed another dude in the face. There's blood flying everywhere. It's like a Quentin Tarantino movie on these pages. Raph is just out of his mind with anger and he is not letting anybody get off easy. Karai says, destroy the beast. Raph says, bring it. We get a... I don't know if we could call this a splash page, but it feels like a splash page. And this is real interesting because I feel like a lot of artists, obviously artists will handle things in different ways, right? Big fight scenes, big war scenes, whatever. I feel like it would have been real easy for somebody to either go with a big approach, like I'm going to give you these big open shots just showing like a little raft fighting a hundred foot dudes, or you know, with like few panels or somebody else would have done a lot of panels of like little moments, like a, a fist punching a guy or a sigh stabbing a guy or a sword slicing Raphael and give you all these little tiny panels that make everything feel chaotic and claustrophobic and messy. But Ben Bishop does like a balancing act here where he gives us four big panels that have a ton of stuff. So it's almost like four mini splashes where he's just, again, punching one dude, tackling another, and then jumping and he's stabbing one dude, slicing another, kneeing another guy in the back of the head. And we slowly, like, he's just dishing out punishment in droves. And then we start to see him catch little things here and there. Like there's an arrow in his arm. He's getting slashed on his shoulder. He got slashed on his leg. And then in that bottom right panel, his shell is just pelted with arrows and he's bleeding all over his hands and his arm. He's got an arrow in his leg. Uh, again, he's, he, he's like Boromir or John Wick or, you know, <laughs> he's just full on going for it. And we turn to the next page and he's like, stop hiding behind your scrubs and let's finish this once and for all. I love that panel, by the way. He is oh, like, it's... so covered with foot soldiers. Like I don't even know how to describe it. He is just completely overwhelmed. All you see is blood and chaos, and he's still fighting. Yeah, it's an epic-looking shot. He's just... His eyes and his teeth gritted together with the blood coming out is just super insane and brutal, and there's guys breaking you know, spears on him and blood flying everywhere. It is, it, it's the, if this doesn't please a lot of the turtle fans out there that are like, I wish there was more violence. I wish it was darker. I wish it was edgier. I wish there was more ninja stuff. Like if this is not fulfilling that need for you, then you should probably get help. <laughs> um, and I'm obviously joking. I'm not trying to say anything about anybody's mental state, but like this book is just 
I mean, I'm sitting here at my desk holding it as we look through it, and it's basically dripping blood all over my desk. <laughs> um, so Karai, in this like epic panel at the bottom, she jumps in and she's silhouetted by this red moon, and it's just really emphasizes like again how gritty this is, and it's a really cool samurai image shot. of you know, yeah. oh dude, it's so samurai, and he's staring up at her, just blood pouring from his eye and his mouth and he's ready to go. So then Raph and Karai go one-on-one. She calls him an undisciplined brute and Raph's like, you've got no idea. He gives her a swift kick to the chin. She's got a sigh in her bicep. He's got arrows in his back. And Oh, I didn't notice a sigh in her bicep. Oh, man, good one. Yeah, she's, she's just straight. Yeah, she's holding one. Oof. We turn the page and... Here it is, guys. The uh, the the first to fall moment is upon us. And again, I'll I'll finish up these pages and then we can discuss them a little bit. But Raph is going one on one with Karai now. This top panel, he's got arrows in his shell, arrows in his arm. He's got a katana like sticking out of his back. She's still got a sigh through her arm. He says, uh, Karai says, my my soldiers may have failed to take your head, but I will not. She swings a sword at him. And Raph's like, oh, you missed. And then this is something that I personally don't think I've seen in like a in a turtles fight scene. Uh, and I thought this was really brilliant, or at least if I have seen it, it's been a while and I don't have like a direct memory of one. But Raph uses some pretty smart strategy here, grabs Karai and takes her into the water. Yeah. And I was like, um, this makes sense. He's a turtle. Yeah. He can breathe down there as long as he wants. Well, it's kind of hard to breathe underwater when you have a knife in your neck. So, <laughs> Raph's got Karai underwater. They're struggling. They're fighting. He uses his last sigh to stab her in the back. Looks like she just takes one right through the lung. Like, he's got that thing yeah. handled deep in her back. But at the same moment, she used that triangle, uh, excuse me, that triangle-shaped dagger and she impales it right above uh, his chest armor, right beneath his chin, just catches him right in the neck. And I thought that was, A, again, it's brutal. Mm -hmm. The panel where you see Raph's eyes kind of rolling back as he drifts off, oh, man, just check me into the Heartbreak Hotel. (laughs) And um, it's just so epic and so brutal and so sad. Like, this is... These are the stakes that we have in this book. This is the cost of doing, this is the cost that these families are having to account for as they wage this war. And not only that, but I don't know if Ben Bishop did this intentionally, but Karai using that dagger, the triangle shaped thing, that was the toy or that was the weapon that came with like the Playmates toys as a kid where I was like, what kind of knife is this? (laughs) <laughs> it, it's like a it's a knife that looks like a slice of pizza that's what, what i always this? thought yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah man that that panel of raf losing consciousness you know blood is coming out of his mouth air is escaping from him he kind of drifts away karai is unconscious she's drifting away and we get two little panels at the bottom right as he like let go let's go of the sigh and then you turn the page mm. and it's just the sigh sinking through the blood-soaked water, and uh, that is the end of Raphael. Ooh, man. 
it's sad, but man, what a what a powerful way to go, you know? You know, dude, I well, first off, let's do this. Again, props to Ben Bishop. I can't imagine um getting the call from IDW like hey, we're trying to do this book and we lost an artist and we want you to fill in on certain stuff. Are you down? Oh, cool. You're down? Great. Get right to work. The guy gets right to work and they're like, hey, guess what? In the second issue, you're drawing the death of Raphael. (laughs) The guy hasn't even drawn 20 pages of the book yet and he's already got to do this. Oh, boy. So this is a big moment just in turtles comics, you know, yeah. we don't, uh, we don't hardly ever see the turtles die if ever. And to see Raph directly lose his life like this to Karai, that was pretty crazy to me. Cause you know, sometimes we see these things where, you know, somebody dies, but it's like, you know, agent Bishop, for instance, where it's the, the monster that he was mind controlling steps on him or whatever the case. Mm-hmm. So it's not always some direct, face-to-face, close-quarter combat where you see people lose their lives. So to see Raph go out like this, man, it was just such a bummer. Uh, Again, my favorite turtle, and we lose him two issues in, but it was an epic fight scene. It was Raph having his berserker rage Wolverine moment. And as much as I love how epic these pages were and love seeing Raph just take out half the foot clan by himself. It also bums me out to a little bit to see that the thing that Raph has always been known for his hot headedness or his impulsiveness, like that's what gets the best of him. That kind of bummed me out because we're, we're looking at technically an older version of Raph, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like I would want this Raph to be a little more restrained, a little more mature, a little more down for for teamwork and working things out. But to see that he's still just hot-headed, impulsive Raph, it's a little bit of a bummer, but I also understand him and his brothers just carried their dying father into a house, thinking that it's probably the last time they might see him. So I understand why he's overcome with grief and anger. It just, there's a little part of me that as I was going through these pages, I was like, come on, man, like, what are you doing? Why'd you do this? Yeah. But do you think that he knew he wasn't coming back? You know what, man? I, I want to say, if I want to say that this is Raph being hot headed and impulsive, I don't think he's even thinking about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, cause part of me is like, if Raph thought that he wasn't coming back, then maybe he wouldn't go. He'd wait for his brothers and they'd devise a plan and they'd figure something out. So I I don't want to say that he thought he was never coming back, but he probably, once he got to a certain point and had, you know, after probably the fourth or fifth arrow in his shell and pouring blood from his eyes and teeth and shoulder, he probably had an idea that this was going to be his last hurrah. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was it was epic. Oh, for sure, man. I mean, even the fight scene leading up to it was epic. I mean, like, you and I were texting throughout the day, and I was like, you know what it feels like? It feels like there was one episode of Game of Thrones where the undead army, they're just absolutely swarming, you know, yeah, the yeah. main characters. That's what it felt like, all the foot soldiers swarming one turtle. And I think at that point I knew, like, 
this is going to be the moment because, of course, we kind of had a feeling it was Raph because all the clues we'd heard, but this was going to be the scene, you know, when it, when he's just bleeding more profusely panel by panel. And finally, when we yep. get to cry, I'm like, okay, this is this is it. This is the showdown. But there's one thing that makes me nervous about this. Have you? Did you notice the the one page um, spread where the sigh is drifting down? The page before that, did you notice the the bottom second panel? I guess there are hands reaching out to Karai, and they're not Raf's hands. I I kind of just took that as as a foot soldier was oh, grabbing her out of the okay, water. Okay, but. Look back real quick at some of these foot dudes. Yeah, I guess some of the foot guys have their hands wrapped differently and their fingers wrapped differently. So I think I just assumed, I'm assuming that that is a foot soldier grabbing her. But I also wouldn't be surprised if we find out that it's a certain foot soldier who now runs a certain gang and yeah. is overseeing the city you know what i mean yes i know i'm like oh no so the the thing that makes me nervous about that is i if this if raf's gonna go i want him to take a major character down with him and karai is a right. major character because uh you know if you're gonna kill one of the turtles which does not happen often trust me you want to make it count and uh, gosh i hope uh, in a weird way i hope karai's dead <laughs> well you know man from from issue one she is I don't want to say cryogenically frozen or whatever, no, but she's, she's in some That's kind right. of. I forgot about that. Right, she's in some kind of like stasis chamber, kind of asleep, you know, futuristic. Cryogenically, I'm so sorry. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Hey, you nailed it, oh, dude. Jeez, dad jokes. If you're, hey, Rob, if you're gonna swing for the fences, I just need you to hit home runs, <laughs> and that's. I I see I see nothing wrong. Thanks, with it. buddy. That's a, that's a, you're a true friend. <laughs> but but yeah, man, she's she is. If she's still alive, it is in a very, um, it's in a very very close to death state. Yes, I so, forgot about that. Oh man, you brought up a great point. Yeah. So man, uh, any last uh, things you want to say before we move on, my friend, about uh, your main turtle? Um. R.I.P. Big Red. You'll be missed. <laughs> Amen, man. All right, great scene, buddy. And, and like you set that up perfectly with, with Ben Bishop. I mean, he knocked out – he was given an opportunity, and he's knocked it out of the ballpark. That was such a great scene. So, yeah, now we get a back-to-present time here, and we got Michelangelo, and he's talking with uh, April here. And April, one thing that we're seeing behind the scenes is, yeah, she's crying. She's still having these horrible dreams. But we also see that when she interacts with Mikey, she has like this new life about her. She really lights up. And it's kind of cool because a character a little bit later on calls attention to that too. She goes, Michelangelo, what the heck are you doing up? Uh, you should still be resting. And Michelangelo, you know, he can't sleep either. Uh, he goes, is it okay if I made some tea? She's like, of course, of course. She even has some like real eggs, which is a big deal. It just kind of shows you what kind of society they live in nowadays where real eggs and real t- you know types of meats and groceries are kind of hard to come by and she's kind of bragging that she runs on the high test you know the the high octane caffeine stuff and <laughs> as um michelangelo's talking to her he notices her arm of course she notices him noticing and she goes my arm he goes uh yeah sorry and she says that's pretty interesting here she says uh don't be i got one just like it for the leg souvenirs from the last time we saw each other so I, I'm just really curious when that was. Is it the same night? Is it much, much later? I just don't know. 
But, you know, we get a really touching scene where, you know, April puts her hand on Mikey's arm and she goes, I am so happy you're alive, Mikey. And she goes, I, uh, yeah, thanks, April. You too. All this time I thought, she's like, I know, we have some serious catching up to do. But not before we get some breakfast in us. And that's what she talks about, the eggs and everything. And, okay, so this is pretty neat. On the next page, she goes, a word is that you got, uh, uh, what's his name, Hiroto? Yep. Hiroto, yes. Hiroto pretty rattled. And Mikey's like, yeah, but rattling wasn't the plan. You know, I, I, I needed him to die, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here's an interesting thing she says. She goes, well, honestly, you're lucky to be alive. And the interesting part of this is they mention the mutation. You know, Michelangelo's bigger and stronger. That's something that I, I guess I don't know if we really think about much when we read the Turtles comics, that they're still mutating in some way. What's interesting is, and a nice parallel is, what we were talking about on the last episode with Booyaka Tales, uh, with Token Razar, that they're mm-hmm. still, they could still possibly be mutating. Their mutation isn't finished yet. And it seems the same way for Michelangelo. The longer he's lived and the older he's gotten, his mutation has continued as well. He's healing faster. He's stronger. Um, which is a pretty interesting concept. I, I thought that was very interesting. I made a note to talk about that, that, it feels like this isn't just some throwaway line to explain like, oh, hey, you survived that fall because your mutation is still progressing. Like, it feels like that might end up playing a part in something. Like, Why why is the mutation continuing? Like, how is his healing getting better as he gets older? How is he getting bigger and stronger as he gets older? Right. What is it about this mutation that is affecting him this way? I'll be be interested to see if and what kind of part this plays in future issues. Yeah, yeah, me too. Another thing uh, is it really interesting, and okay, this is kind of comical too. So April, she goes, Casey, breakfast! And okay, immediately <laughs> I thought, okay, she named her cat Casey or something. <laughs> I was like, has to be an animal, has to be an animal. But Michelangelo, he, he's like, wait, what? Casey's still alive too? A couple things interesting about this next page. So it's a one full page here. And we see April introduces her daughter, Michelangelo. I'd like you to be my daughter, Casey Marie Jones. And she's the character we saw in the last issue. She looked a little different, but that's the same one. So what's interesting, too, to me is the background of April's place. What in the world is that in the distance? That is some kind of high-tech equipment, which I think Mm -hmm. plays a part in the very last scene, hopefully. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So anyways... uh. Casey, uh, Casey Marie Jones, she goes, we kind of met already. They shake hands formally, and Casey says, you were a lot less conscious and a lot more bloody last time. And she goes, this is so weird. I've been hearing about the turtles all my life, but I never thought I'd actually get to meet one of you for real. I obviously got that all wrong, huh? And uh, <laughs> and Michael's like, wait, 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 what? You're Casey? She goes, yep, <laughs> that's me. Like I said, lots of catching up to do. Yeah, I, I love. I already love the dynamic between Casey Marie Jones and uh, and Mikey here. It's good stuff. Yeah, she's she's got a cool look too. I she don't does. know if you if you notice this, but her with like the the low slung sweatpants that kind of show off her belly. It's like wow, she's just like her dad. Yeah, she must work out. Yeah. Well, yeah. clearly we see her weight room a little bit later. She can bench more than I yeah. can. Must be nice. <laughs> Probably can bench more than I can too. Don't worry about it. 
Well, speaking of dudes who work out, look at this guy. So we catch up with Oroku Hiroto, who's up in his big tower, training with a bunch of foot dudes. He's got awesome, awesome 90s tribal tats, mm -hmm. and he is just shredded out of this world. He looks like Bruce Lee, and he's training with these guys. He's got some Eskrima sticks. He's getting his Nightwing on, and he's training with these guys, and he's like, you know, kill me or I'll have you killed. You're weak. I need you to be better. You know, let's let's make this, let's take things up a notch. Well, they don't really take things up to where he wants it, so he cuts a dude's throat, and he says, this lesson has ended. Clean this up. Come... Captain Fukuda, who has apparently replaced Captain uh, Ikusa, but we'll see what happens to him. He's talking to his new captain. He says, has our little problem been solved? And the guy tells him, no, master. The rogue mutant has not yet been located. Oroku says, hmm, disappointing. There was a time when those things slinked through the alleys and across the rooftops of, the rooftops of this city with near impunity. They even had the utter audacity to brand themselves ninja, though the truth was far less impressive. The creature is fearfully skulking in the shadows, no doubt, which means a shift in tactics is in order, dear captain. The captain asks him, what do you mean? And he says, I want all of our troops invade, engaged in a full crackdown of the city. You're going to find this guy. We're going to eliminate him. We're going to execute him in public with extreme prejudice. We're going to use this guy to send a message. We're going to make everybody afraid of me again. We're going to reiterate who runs this city. So he sends this guy off in his mission and he's like, if you fail me like your predecessor did, then your fate will be the same as his. Ugh. As we see a human skull on a stick being picked at by some crows or ravens, whatever they are. Oof. And then we catch back up with, uh, with Mikey and Casey and April. Gross scene, gross scene. The eyeball's still there. Yeah. Ugh, ugh. Oh man. It it is. It's it's about to not be there. That's but true. Yeah. That's true. It's about to be a bird snack. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. The next scene's pretty interesting because uh, they're finishing up their breakfast, and April actually kind of gives a little bit of a background. And I don't know if they said it in the first issue. So, but I do remember us talking about it. So, um, I I think our theory was that the societies were actually divided in rank based on your location in the city. And sure enough, right. we, we get that confirmation here from April. She goes, Casey talks about that they live in the rock bottom. And Mike is like, rock bottom? What are you talking about? April answers. And she goes, it's just a nickname. New York split into three districts, top, middle, and bottom. Rock bottom's to the old street level, our people. And then there's the rest of us. Michelangelo's like, the rest of us? And Casey goes, rock bottom's the battlefield. And the rest of us, underground. We're the resistance. And I find this fascinating because maybe it explains something with April's devices she has. Something's going on. April goes, we'll tell him more about it after he gets some more rest. Maybe you can grab him some clean linen, huh? Casey, she's like, okay. Uh, come on, Michelangelo. If there's one thing I know about my mom. Uh, let me see if I remember. She doesn't take no for an answer. Let me take a look. Oh, there it is. I'm that good. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. So this is, this is really neat. So their place really opens up here. So it makes me wonder how big this this place is. But uh, so Michelangelo's like, so Kendo, huh? Uh, Casey goes, yeah, I've been doing it since I was little. Other stuff too. Uh, hard not to when you grow up in the middle of all this. And then she shows him the gym with all the weights and the training. Quick note, Rob. Yeah. 
Um, I don't remember if it's on the last page or if it's back earlier when April and Mikey are talking, but April calls this Mikey's home. I think I'm, this is, I think she confirms. Let me see. Oh, she says it's back when they're making tea. And she says, sorry, I just got worried when I didn't find you in bed. The tea's from when you lived here. Oh, but still good. So this is the turtles old home that April probably retreated to after things got bad and then, you know, has just been living in it since. I did not catch that. Thank you so much for bringing that up because I didn't notice that. No worries. It, it it explains the uh the gym and the ninja gear and then maybe explains some of that futuristic stuff that you were just talking yes. about. So okay. Wow. Makes a lot more sense now. Awesome. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. And I love this too because we find out, you know, that Casey has really taken a lot of pride in just Japanese and samurai culture because she's preserved everything that Michelangelo had kept. She preserved it perfectly. She goes, I know some of the history too, things like Bushido and Seppuku. And, I, and, you know, it's really fascinating, you know, the moral code that the samurai had. And I was doing some more research on why Seppuku, why, why they would do that, and it was to restore honor. Um, before being, you know, held captive by the enemy and possibly tortured and who knows what else. So a lot of yeah. a lot of that culture did that as a form of honor and, and to, to earn any type of dignity back. And these comics kind of hinted around to that too, you know, very early on. So really, really fascinating stuff. But yeah, Casey's just basically saying, I know this stuff's in, important to you, so I want to take very good care of it. And Michelangelo goes, these, these are all very important to me, so thank you. So... She goes, sure, once I saw what or who you were, I didn't want to leave anything behind, considering what you were about to do. I understand why, you know, the honor of it. And then here's a cool little moment between Michelangelo and Casey. Uh, Michelangelo goes, did you tell your mom? Referring to him about to take his own life. And she said, no, nothing. Uh, Things have been pretty rough the last few years. So to see a little bit of hope in her eyes again, well, and then Mikey just thanks her. So she asked, she, she basically asked him, like, where have you been? You know, you've been gone for so long. What happened? And that leads to a pretty epic flashback by, uh, well, I don't know. Who's it by again, Zach? I can't remember. The flashback scene, and this was such a cool surprise. Yes. If, if, you, if you read the credits at the beginning of the book and pay attention, you might have seen this coming, but I did not see this coming. Michelangelo says... After all the bad stuff that happened, it was too much to handle. So, you turn the page and you jump right into a Mikey flashback drawn by Kevin Eastman himself. The original co-creator himself, right there. The the original co-creator himself. And I thought this was such a cool little touch that they did. Rob, I'm going to let you go through this because you're the old school Turtles guy. So I feel like it'd be more appropriate for you to dig into it, but... I just want to say real quick, the pages where Casey and Mikey are hanging out, I feel like we're starting to see a cool new little relationship um, crack off. Yeah. You know, we're seeing the the foundations of like old Uncle Mikey and, you know, young Casey and her having an appreciation for martial arts. Like, can you imagine growing up with in this crazy, hectic world and your mom's got all these crazy stories about, you know, your, your dad and her friends who were 
giant mutant turtles who were taking on this old blood feud with a ninja gang that was, you know, an organized crime syndicate. Like it just must've been some of the craziest bedtime stories you've ever heard in your life. (laughs) But then one of them just walks right into your life and then boom, it's all very real, you know? So such a, such a cool moment. I really liked those pages between Mikey and Casey and then turning the page and getting Kevin Eastman stuff was just, again, such a cool touch where the idea of the last Ronin is 30 years old. It's this story that never got published. And so here we are 30 something years later, getting it for the first time with modern storytelling and, you know, new writing, modern art, but it's a very cool full circle type of moment to have Kevin just not only doing layouts, but to actually have a few pages of this flashback scene and to where it's not a, it's not exactly a a Ben Bishop flashback scene where we're going back to what happened to the turtles. It's the origin story of old man Mikey, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's him letting us know what happened after all the bad stuff with his brothers and the foot clan and how he proceeded with his life from there. So, um, Rob, you go ahead and, and take over here and, and break these down for uh-huh. us because I know this is this is your steez, dude. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. This is you know, I just love it too for so many reasons. I mean, you, you just mentioned most of them right there, and just the fact that it's in black and white. I mean, this feels so much like the original books. The whole story anyway did. And then when you see this, it's like the icing on the cake of like, man, yeah. this is this just feels so old school but in a new storytelling way, just like you said. So we get the story of where Michelangelo was, you know, because he just, he gets out of Dodge. That's how he deals with it. And we see similar parallels in the IDW series. Anytime Michelangelo was really hurt, he tended to withdraw. We saw that post 100, and we see it here too. Uh, He really withdraws here. So he goes, I just started walking. So we don't even know where he's at. He's on top of a a snowy mountain somewhere. He goes into the mountains, a kid from the sewers of lower Manhattan, straight into the wild. Bad idea. I'd seen (laughs) photos of snow-covered mountains, but never set foot on one being cold-blooded. I didn't have a chance, so I found a place to meet my end. So he finds this place. Is it like some kind of temple? Yeah, it it looks like some kind of shrine or temple thing or maybe just a like a hiking trail that somebody marked off with something yeah but he, he seems to find some little area of refuge yeah for sure and once again talking about his mutation he laid down the die but he says days a week maybe longer i don't know how long i laid there but my mutant body would not die so as he's there and as the seasons are changing he starts to start meditating a little bit he starts to start listening as the leaves start changing or as you know things start coming back to life and then we get some interesting uh exposition here he goes i started to hear voices telling me that my destiny was incomplete that i couldn't leave yet eventually it got warmer and the mountains provided sustenance and solitude a time to look deep into my soul for answers and now this totally feels like just an old school classic kung fu movie or, or you know the martial arts movie i should say it really does you know where, where somebody's meditating out in, in the wilderness and trying to find themselves their purpose and whatever it is yep. it's a very cathartic experience for michelangelo 
and it reminds me of a Jet Li movie I saw one time, Fearless. Have you ever seen that? I don't think I've seen it start to finish. Oh, I've seen bits of it for it sure. It is one of my favorite kung fu martial arts movies of all time. I love that movie. And it very similar, This the character in that movie, he just kind of has this horrible, traumatic thing happen to him. He goes in exile. He he learns from this these, this little farm town and, and how these workers work. He learns about humility in himself, and then he eventually comes back to fight one last fight. And this story reminds me nice. of it so much. It's a, it's a great movie, and this is a great scene. So back to the comic. He goes, I read and reread Father's book. So once again, we don't really know what's in there, uh, at least a whole lot about it. Looking for some kind of balance, maybe even a final piece. I spent years alone thinking this was where I was supposed to be, like a stupid reward or d- uh, deserved punishment or something. But that's not the way of the world. The real world found me again, and I must let it take me. So one day, while Michelangelo's uh, gathering crops, because he's learned to live off the land, which he probably never knew how to do before, these people, they come to kill him. You know, the world finds him. They think he's some kind of strange monster, and they want to kill him for no, no rhyme or reason, really. And Michelangelo goes, at first, I welcomed the pain. At least I felt something after all that time. But then he sees these crazy guys that just want to kill. And he goes, then I saw the looks on their faces, laughing, taking a life just to take a life for fun. No honor. That's when I got mad. Really mad. And then we see, and it's hard to see because of the shading and the artwork and everything. But there are bodies on the ground, on the bottom left of that page there. And Michelangelo, he looks exhausted, you know, like it took everything out of him to, to take their lives, but he did. He goes, we were raised with honor and respect, trained from birth for redemption for our family. That was my destiny on the battlefield to the end. So, yeah, I mean, once again, just all about honor, all about um, the or the ninja way. It's just, it's so interesting the way th- this harkens back to just the old school Ronin style from the 80s and and of course yeah. early turtle stuff it's so good it's really really getting back to like the core of what inspired turtles like here's this cool revenge story about these you know young mutant turtles raised by their father who's got a blood feud with an old nemesis and you know the the past has caught up with them and now they're fighting it to the death like it's really just like you said man it's it's old school samurai flick, old school martial arts flick where you really didn't need much crazy stuff to get the story going. It was just like, yo, you killed my brother. We've got beef. (laughs) I don't like that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So the last page here, um, it says father's book was the path to learn and master all forms of martial arts, to adapt to every challenge, every form of combat, I was the last of my clan, masterless, Ronin, and it was up to me to restore our family's honor. So we get this montage or, or this, this scene where he's facing off against all these different enemies. And some of them, I mean, you know, in a weird way, they don't even look human. So I wonder if they're like demons from his past or, or whatever it is. I was a little, I'm not quite sure what this scene is supposed to be. I mean, regardless, we know a few things. He has had to kill some people in his way. Yeah. And he has had to find his way back fighting the whole way. His his main mission is to make sure that he restores honor to his family. And that means he's got some unfinished business. The final scene of Kevin Eastman's epic flashback here 
it says, uh, zoom in on his face, my training reached its end. There would be no peace until I fulfilled my destiny. And it was to come home and to face it. And just a wonderful scene where he's he's sailing back from Italy to, I guess, the States. Uh, so there you go. You know, that that part slightly confused me. Too. Me too. I don't quite know if that's where he was the whole time. or He says he just walks into the wilderness, like walks right. into the mountains. So I'm like, okay, he's in upstate New York or he's in Canada or, you know, in... So if that's that like that's perfectly fine like if he did end up in Italy I just I wish we would have got a little bit something else showing us that traveling you know cuz there was there's the scene where he kills the guys on the mountain and then there's a little like scene of him looks like he's packed his bags and he's kind of walking away mm-hmm. so I wonder if we're supposed to take this page on the right where you know, he's got like people looking at him through these bars and like a cage and there's dead bodies underneath yeah. him. I wonder if he's just like traveling the world and fighting. That's what I was wondering. Just fighting to fight. Like like he's actually physically fighting people, but it's also him kind of fighting his demons in a sense, you yeah. know? But um, but yeah, the, the boat thing kind of confused me. I was like, wait, wait, wait. When did he need to get on a boat to get back from upstate new york um <laughs> but that that you know the way uh, you bring that up though that that's true maybe he's been all around the world learning these different martial arts styles right you know, right just like right. book yeah that's a good point maybe he was you know is following the book and it led him to other places but yeah but yeah it was it was cool stuff and that that last shot of him sitting like in the dark with the rats on the boat with the rats i was like oh perfect <laughs> full circle ah that was great so we end the flashback sequence and we've got two last pages here so mikey is talking to casey again he says to complete my master's mission kill the last oroku and then casey asks him well this last page what does it mean and it looks like either splinter wrote this before he died or mikey added it to the book as he was going through it and the, the last page says no peace and mikey says that means i've still got work to do Casey then tells him, good, because my crew's going to help you. He says, I appreciate the offer, but no. I won't be responsible for anyone else getting killed because of me. And she says, well, that's too bad, because I wasn't asking. You wouldn't even be standing here if it wasn't for us. We got trouble coming now that you stirred things up. If you don't want to help taking out Hiroto, then stand in line. And Mikey just kind of chuckles at her, and she's like, what's so funny? He goes, I'm just trying to decide if you're more like your dad or your mom. And as he says, or your mom, we cut over to April, who is digging into a safe, and out of that safe, she grabs Fugitoid's head. Yeah. The end. What is that all about? What is that all about? I have no idea. I I mean, like, uh, okay, why is Fugitoid's head there? Where's the rest of his body? Could they possibly go back in the teleport or go back in the time and change something i don't know i'm very intrigued now because I, first of all i love professor honeycutt he's one of my favorite characters he is very cool and second of all I, it makes me think there could be some kind of dimensional or time travel or, or some way to maybe correct some things yeah but at the same time like okay say if they could go back and correct this you know just talking as a story would you want them to do that you know uh, hey you know we're not all dead after all would you want that, or do you want these characters to kind of, in a weird way, in this story at least, die and stay dead? 
I'm glad you asked that, dude, because I didn't quite think about that. And now that you are asking me, I would like them to stay dead. I feel the same way. I feel the same. I feel like that would make much more of an impact because we've never seen anything like this before. Exactly. I feel like it would not necessarily that we haven't seen it before because there there are iterations of like this story, right? Like the last turtle standing, what would oh, happen? Oh, sure, yeah. But but in in this book, in this story, in this event of you know idw publishing like this is a big deal dude this book is making a lot of noise it's selling a lot of copies i feel like it would just kind of take some of the oomph off of it if they were just like oh time travel we brought everybody back just kidding like like sure do i want a happy ending yes but do i want a happy ending where they avengers endgame it and use time travel to like fix everything nah like i i think we can get a resolute like solid happy ending without having to play with dimensions or play with time travel or, you know, use the technology cheat codes. I have a feeling that April getting Fugitoid's head out of there is like, maybe she's got some, maybe there's some kind of information that he has stashed in there. Maybe there's something, you know, maybe there's something important to, to like dealing with Hiroto in there, or maybe, there's some important information about um, Karai's like stasis chamber thing in there. Like maybe Honeycutt has the tech to deactivate it, or maybe his tech is what the stasis thing relies on, and so it can't bring Karai back because April's been hiding it. You know, whatever the case may be, I I feel like she's she's probably got something up her sleeve where you know Fugitoid's head probably has something important i i don't think that she's got it in a safe because she's using it as a cookie jar you know what i mean like check out um, the side what what if i could put this on ebay yeah yeah yeah. she's like oh you know what mikey's back let me uh let me pull this you know cute little practical joke and i'm just gonna put fugitoid's head on the table and use it as a fishbowl or something oh that'd be funny that'd be great okay so uh, can i just give you like my fantasy ending of this series Please do. Two issues in. Okay, okay. So I'm probably going to be way (laughs) off. Okay. I think the last Ronin is Casey. Oh. Wouldn't that be interesting? Like Michelangelo trains her because I see Mikey dying at the end of this series. Right. I just do. No, dude. I think that's, to me, I mean, who kind of just, I mean, Last Jedi kind of just flirted with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um. Like everybody was like, oh, like Luke's the last Jedi and he's going away, but it's like it's really Luke training Ray and she's the last one. Like she's the last hope and restarting everything. They are the resistance. Eh? They are the resistance. So I think it's a little bit of that, and I would I would be really if it's done well and it and it pays off. I would love to see an ending like yeah, that. Yeah, I'd love that too. You know, just the old man Mikey. I mean, she already has an appreciation for. Bushido and and the samurai, you know, moral culture and code. I could definitely see her being the one. Like he passes the torch to her, or maybe they both try to fight Hiroto or whoever the the epic main villain is going to be by the end of this. Who who knows? Maybe somebody else will step in at some point. I think with a limited uh, number of issues, it probably is just Hiroto. But I could see Mikey dying to save her, or maybe she. I don't know. I I just see this almost father 
daughter kind of relationship between the two and I like it and I don't mind it at all. <laughs> so Yeah, no, it it's cool, man. It's a very cool again, the little the little trick they tried to play on us earlier in the book, like, is April crazy? Is she is she talking to a bag of hockey sticks? Mm-hmm. It's like, nope. She just she named her daughter after Casey. I'd be really interested to find out not interested. I'd I'd be kind of sad if we find out that Casey isn't Casey's daughter. Like April had some other relationship after Casey. I don't think oh, that's yeah. going to be the case, but like, I'm pretty sure we'll just end up finding out that they got Casey and April got engaged because April was pregnant. Right. And you know, then the stuff that happens happens. And so she ends up raising Casey as a single mother. But I definitely think that, uh, I I think that would be a cool ending is seeing Mikey pass the torch like you know you're the you're the last member of the Hamato clan like make us proud mm-hmm. and maybe she finishes the book or just I don't know I don't know maybe she oh man now this is interesting because the next issue have you seen the cover for it I'm looking right I'm holding it in my hand right now looking at it oh man so this makes me think this whole thing might be a Casey Marie Jones story because the next issue is about her dad. Yep. Ah, oh, this is interesting. Well, I I took this two ways, dude. So, cover two, and and I'll be interested to see if this ends up being the final image because I don't know if you noticed this, but the solicitations for Last Ronin issue two had a different cover than this final cover that we're holding in our hands. So, I'm wondering if the final cover will end up changing for issue three but if not the way i'm taking this cover or or what i'm taking this cover to tell us is that's not just casey's mask right there but that's also leo's sword right there so i wouldn't be surprised if you know in this issue we saw karai get incapacitated and we saw raf lose his life wouldn't be surprised if next issue we see raf and casey or excuse me, uh, Leo and Casey bite the dust. But it also, they were mentioning a bomb or an explosion and, you know, April losing her leg and arm and there's all this rubble and destroyed building and smoke and fire. second time around, maybe? I wouldn't be surprised in the least. (laughs) Interesting stuff. Oh, man. So, yeah, so, you know, we've already done some speculation, but... Overall, what did you think of this issue? You know, are there standout parts to you? Was this? I mean, I know oh, we talked I mean, about it early, but if you could sum it all up now, if I could sum it up all now, man, that again liked this issue better than issue one, um, mm-hmm. or I feel weird saying better. I don't think it's better than issue one. I liked it more than issue one because we get those answers, because yeah, we get the reveals. You know, we get the reveal of April's daughter. We get the details about what Mikey was up to. We, I mean, we see the night that started all of this, right? The yeah. the whole beginning of this. You know, we see Raph die. Like, I, we obviously knew it was going to happen because there's three brothers dead, but still didn't take any of the sting off to watch my, uh, you know, my favorite turtle die. <laughs> but um, the the art was was great just all around. Like I said, everybody on the art team crushed it. The surprise with Kevin's, you know, four or five pages was awesome. Ben Bishop really, really making his presence felt here. The, um, 
the action scenes, his Eastman and Laird cameo, the uh, the Eastman egg, as we called it. But, <laughs> as you um, called it. I, I can't take credit. I wish I could. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, dude, it the and the guys, the Escorza brothers, who are doing the, the penciling and inking for, like, the present time stuff, man, they, they're doing a great job. Like, Mikey and April look like they've been just, they've been through the ringer. Their backgrounds and like the settings that they do are really well done. Definitely, we talked about it on the first issue. This book feels like it just feels like a love letter from from Kevin and Peter and Tom to not only is it a love letter to old school turtles, but it's a love letter to old school comics. It feels like Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. It feels like some what happened to the man of tomorrow or what happened to the man of steel or something like that. It's kind of a similar, it's like a Superman story about like, what if he wasn't around type of thing? And, you know, so it, it just has this kind of old school eighties vibe and eighties grit. And there's, but there's more, there's more heart than you expect from some of that stuff because, you know, some people look back at that era of comics and it's just like, Oh, all these cool action packed, gritty, you know, stories but this one is like, what happens if there's only one turtle left? You know, it's not just, oh, here's this ruthless vigilante who's, you know, trying to get revenge because his wife was killed or whatever. It's like, this is a dude who was raised by a ninja master, was brought up in the ways of honor and martial arts and all that stuff, respecting your family and respecting tradition and and again, had this feud with this crazy nemesis that lasted a lifetime. And here it is again, we're, we're watching these two families. We're seeing the toll that this feud is taking on these two families. Yeah. And now here we are watching the last Hamato do their thing. And, uh, it's cool stuff, man. I love it. There was it, it's a great issue with some great surprises. We got some answered questions while leaving plenty more for us to dig into. I would say, I'd say two books in last Ronin is going super strong. Oh, and, uh, mm-hmm. and now we just have to wait until May to get to the, uh, the, the three fifths point. <laughs> yeah. So there's, so there's going to be five issues total, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, man. I completely agree with everything you just said. Completely agree. And what I find so fascinating about this issue, too, there's a lot of things, but one of the things is basically you could virtually nothing about the Turtles aside from maybe reading issue one. And then you go to read The Last Ronin, and, I mean, you could just jump right in and follow along and be just amazed. It would make sense to you. That's so interesting to me because this is – it just feels that early for the Ninja Turtles. Yet at the same time, what I find so interesting and fascinating about it is that we get kind of like modern storytelling in a lot of ways. And also we get uh, like fresh layouts in some ways. And also there are some layouts that just seem straight out of the 80s too. Mm -hmm. But I I think I love the three different types of artists that we get here. Boy, it just – it really freshens the book and makes every flashback – feels so fresh and unique uh it's just it's just fascinating to me and then to have the original co-creator write michelangelo's flashback it's it's great i love that of course the fight scenes ben bishop knocked it out of the ballpark with those fight scenes 
I mean, absolutely incredible. I mean, some of those, uh, we were talking about if we could get original prints of some of those fight scenes earlier today. Oh man, uh, it'd be worth, it'd be worth the money. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like, absolutely. Like there's one where there's a couple where Karai and right before they go in the water and Raph is trying to stab Karai and Karai's like got Raph. She's trying to stab him with the um, katana. And they're just staring at each other. It's such a cool scene. I'd love to get like a giant print of just that. Right. Oh, so many good things. And then I'd love yeah. to get one of the Kevin Eastman things. They're just gorgeous books. So. And you know, man, and we're, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, for, I guess, forgive me for this, but we've, we've talked a lot about the art, but you just brought up the idea of like the modern storytelling. Yeah. So, you know, obviously got to give prop. There's, there's a name that we haven't mentioned enough this issue and it's, uh, it's Tom Waltz yes. who like, man, can you imagine Kevin Eastman coming to you and being like, Hey man, I found this old pile of papers that, you know, looks like Peter Laird wrote this cool idea down and I've kind of fleshed it out and I've kind of added my own spin to it. Can you help me turn this into something? And then Tom Waltz taking a look at this and going, oh, yeah, we could definitely turn this into something. Taking a story that the origins of this story, the beginning of this story, the seeds, if you will, were planted in the 80s. And taking something like that and being like, A, that it's still like cool nowadays is a testament to Peter Laird and his ideas. But then it's also a testament to Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman who worked together to bring this thing to life 40 years later or almost 40 years later. Yeah. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of comic book writers who wrote a lot of stuff in the eighties that you probably couldn't dig up from the past and make it work nowadays. You know, mm -hmm. it would probably feel ultra dated. It would feel really out of place so that they, that again, Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman are making this thing work is a testament to how good they are with their writing and you know their um what's the word like their experience with the turtles and their world building with the turtles and then you talking about the 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 panels having kind of an old school touch i feel like that just goes right to to kevin dude like all the i don't know if it's all the layouts or just some of the layouts but layouts by kevin eastman that lets you know right there like we we know where Kevin learned to to butter his toast was in those really like classic 80s comics and I feel like some of this stuff you can look at it and see like there's definitely the foundations of Eastman art and you know Eastman panel layouts here and then it's probably the Escorza brothers and Ben Bishop taking those foundations those layouts and tweaking them where they need to but it's just really cool to know how much of a team effort it is and how again that it's like a this idea that was born in Peter Laird's head in the 80s and is now being brought to life by this whole other team how many ever years later it's it's really cool so so props to the whole team props to Tom Waltz Ben Bishop the Escorza brothers um Antonio Delgado doing the colors Luis Antonio Delgado you know Bobby Curnow and um the other editor handling business i know editing is not easy especially on a book that's you know getting getting these delays and stuff which uh speaking of that not that i want to like derail our thoughts or anything here but um oh it's rg 
Lorena or Yarena doing the uh, editorial coordination. But it looks like if if you'd have looked at previews or whatever a month or so ago or maybe two months ago, it said that Last Ronin Issue 3 was coming out in March. That was the original release date. But now it's coming out in May. So it seems like what IDW has done is they've learned from these, from like the, the cycle or the workload of these first two issues. And it looks like they've just quietly made this book like a quarterly book, dude. We're going to get one issue every three months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm okay with that. I'm. This is one of those Take things time, where... Yeah. Exactly. The more time, the better. Get it right, and you know, make this thing really be the the statement that you want it to be. It doesn't need to be rushed. It doesn't need to be, you know, put out to capitalize on hype or anything. Like it, it's generating its own hype every time an issue comes out. You know, mm-hmm. the um, last Ronin number one broke records for IDW, and then. Issue two broke that same record. It's the largest print run of a book that IDW's ever done. That's awesome. So I'm so happy to it's, hear that. Dude, it's crazy. There's there was a hundred and thirty thousand orders or over a hundred and thirty thousand orders placed for issue two. Wow. And and you know what? Like you said, I, I do feel like this was a even more interesting issue than the first one because of the pacing too. I think the pacing has been great. Because this one starts off with the dream sequences with April, so we get a little bit of fl- a flashback. We find out what happens to April. We find out what happens to Splinter and the Turtles, and then we get the Raph situation, and then we get to meet Casey Marie Jones, and then after that we get Michelangelo's story, and then after that, Future Toy. They're ending everything on cliffhangers. I want more. I don't think this book slowed down one bit, yet we got more answers in this one. So, I mean, I think if it continues this trend – this will probably be one of the greatest things that uh, has ever been put out for the Turtles, you know, if, if it continues the way it's going. I mean, it's already breaking records now, but, you know, story-wise, that's, that's where it counts, and it, it, sure, it sure has shined uh, so far. So, man, can't say enough good things about it. I think it is going to end up going down, you know, this, this is going to end up being a, a big, big thing for the Turtles, for Turtles comics, for the Turtles franchise. This is going to be something that people talk about for... For years and years and years, so um, I'm hyped that it's coming out through IDW. Uh, again, I'm hyped to see Tom Waltz doing what he's doing, and Ben Bishop and Kevin Eastman. Like, it must be so cool for Kevin to have this kind of full circle thing. Like, yeah, you know, took the took the comic world by storm with the Turtles in '84, and now again, almost 40 years later, he's got another book that's making a tons of noise. He's the last Ronin. With, yeah, dude. <laughs> That's it's about him. Wow, you just you nailed <laughs> See, it, dude. You know, Kevin, forget the Casey thing. It's Kevin Eastman. Yep, Kevin Eastman is. I mean, he is kind of metaphorically the the last Ronin, um, but it's it's just really cool. It must be really really great uh, for him to see this and and be a part of this. So that's cool. I uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying this, man. I completely agree, my friend. Well. That's awesome, guys. Well, we got a couple of months before the next one comes out. But, gosh, in the meantime, we would love to hear from you guys. So please, please, please send us an email on uh, either feed. Um, Zach's, Zach, what is your email again, my friend? You guys can send an email to feedback at com, 
and I will check that out, and Rob and I can put it on either either feed, whatever works, but feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at booyakashow.com. Booyakashow is B-O-O-Y-A-K-A-S-H-O-W.com. Absolutely, and uh, you can always send us an email with the same kind of topic at turtletalesradio at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, again, I cannot recommend you guys subscribing to Zach's show enough if you haven't already. Uh, because he has amazing Ninja Turtles content dedicated not just to the 2012 Nickelodeon series, but about everything Ninja Turtles. And our very first review of uh, The Last Ronin Issue 1 is on his feed. Uh, this one obviously is on the Turtle Tales feed if you're listening to this. Issue 3 will be back on Zach's Booyaka Show feed. So it's always, yes, always so fun doing this, my friend. And uh, this was a great issue. A great time. It's 10.30 at night, and I'm still feeling pretty good. <laughs> so. There you go, man. There you go. It's it's easy to talk about a uh, a good, exciting book with uh, with good friends, man. So Amen, man. Appreci- appreciate uh, us doing this and uh, appreciate your time and can't wait for... Can't wait to listen to this episode on the uh, the Turtle Tales feed. Ah, thanks so much, man. And, uh, you know, this question we all want to know, Zach, uh, on behalf of the uh, Turtle crowd... Uh, what type of pizza are we going to have to close out another Totally Tubular episode of our last Ronin team-up? Mm. You know what, dude? You asked me this last time, <laughs> and I was able to give you a real pizza that I had just eaten the day before. But I haven't eaten a pizza since probably this past weekend. So I think I'm going to hit you with something crazy, which I did get some – I got some interesting responses to the uh, to the walnuts <laughs> as a topping. You did, yeah. I, I, if you guys are listening and you haven't tried walnuts yet, put those on your pizza. But anyways, I would say you guys should go out and grab a slice of barbecue chicken pizza. Ooh. That'll do you right. I – can honestly say I've never had that, but I would definitely have to have Tums afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and just to add one more thing to that, on Valentine's Day, because my wife and I are super cheesy, we, we ordered a pizza, and we got it heart-shaped. So there you nice. go. There you go for Valentine's. There you go. So, uh, Very cool. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. It has been a blast. Uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed The Last Runner just as much as we have. And here's to hoping you enjoy your heart-shaped barbecue pizza. Cowbunga, dudes. Laters. Laters.